And the first reading this morning is from Genesis chapter 1, the six days of creation and the Sabbath. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was formless, void, and darkness covered the face of the deep, while a wind from God swept over the face of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. And God said, let there be a dome in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. So God made the dome and separated the waters that were under the dome from the waters that were above the dome. And it was so. God called the dome sky. And there was evening and there was morning, the second day. And God said, let the waters under the sky be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear and it was so god called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together he called seas and god saw that it was good then god said let the earth put forth vegetation plants yielding seed and fruit trees of every kind on earth that bear fruit with a seed in it, and it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed of every kind, and trees of every kind bearing fruit with a seed in it. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the dome of the sky to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years. And let them be lights in the dome of the sky to give light upon the earth. And it was so. God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. God set them in the dome of the sky to give light upon the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening and there was morning, the fourth day. And God said, let the waters bring forth swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the dome of the sky. So God created the great sea monsters and every living creature that moves of every kind with which the waters swarm and every winged bird of every kind and God saw that it was good. God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning, the fifth day. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures of every kind, cattle and creeping things and wild animals of the earth of every kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals of the earth of every kind and the cattle of every kind and everything that creeps upon the ground of every kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make humankind in our image, according to our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the wild animals of the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. 
God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. God said, see, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is upon the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food and to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the air and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw everything that he had made, and indeed, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus, the heavens and the earth were finished and all their multitude and on the seventh day God finished the work that he had done and he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done God blessed the seventh day and hallowed it because on it God rested from all the work that he had done in creation Thanks be to God. <clears throat> the second reading, a much shorter one, from Luke 18. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and regarded others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, was praying thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, thieves, rogues, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all my income. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even look up to heaven, but was beating his breast and saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his home justified rather than the other. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, but all who humble themselves will be exalted. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Philip. So I'm going to share my thoughts from the week, essentially. And then we are going to have a panel. Just as a reminder, those of you in the chat, if you can hold off posting until after the sermon, that would be great. In the beginning, the Logos was with God, and the God was Logos. All things were made and through the Logos, created in love to inspire, to challenge, to reflect, and to encourage. There are those who did not want to hear or see the Logos as it reflected their greed, their malice, their bigotry. And so they tried to tame it, to coerce it, and ultimately to destroy it. Logos, as we know, is the Greek word for word. That was a little parody of the opening from John. But did you know that Logos is not simply, it doesn't just mean word, as in like a, just a word. It's like it means story itself. Logos is story. It's not a single piece of speech, but a whole act of speech. It is the thoughts behind it, all of it, spilling forth into narrative and meaning and musing, conversation, debate and report. And this Logos, as we know, has a name, Christ. Christ, the ultimate story and the ultimate storyteller. This morning, I want us to talk and think about creation, creator, and creativity in the context of activism, prophecy, and scripture. Creativity in scripture is generally talking about God as we are made in God's image, 
though we also must have this creative divine spark within us. In the beginning, God created, and from that transcendent moment of creativity, everything else follows. We had the story of Genesis this morning. I'm sorry, Philip, for making you read the whole thing. I thought about just putting in a little bit, but I just, I love, I love the opening chapters of the Bible, and that's a beautiful piece of prose, poetry, whatever you want to call it, is it's one of my favorite parts. I love the flow of the language. I love the way that we move through in this beautiful rhythm. This origin story. Although Genesis, ironically, isn't that original. It is specific this part as well. It is a rich theological resource for us, but it's actually one of the difficult parts of scripture because it is evident that this story has actually been taken and appropriated from other stories in the culture surrounding the Israelites in exile where they were. Other older and more developed cultures had creation myths where if you read them, and if you, I thought you should talk to my colleague, Mr. Woman, and he'll take you to the British Museum and he will show you um, a tablet or a thing that has one of these creation stories on it it's really fascinating. Um, but clearly this is where our Israelites have got their ideas from, their, 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 their spark of their imagination. And so this story is not original, but it stands out. It uses these, the ideas that are surrounding it, but it rejects the inherent violence that is within them. I don't know if you've ever read some of the... Um, the Enuma Elish, I don't know if I'm saying it right, but the, the other creation myths, they are all violent. I mean, some of it's pretty weird as well. Like, people get bits chopped off and they fall to the floor and trees grow or people grow. And it is all violence and chaos and nothing, is, nothing seems to be deliberate. And so these, you have these people in exile who hear these stories and who are living in this culture and they go, well, we must have an origin too, right? But what if actually we were created out of love what if we were created out of a desire for a relationship what if we were created not because of chaos but what if that chaos was brought into order and so we have the birth of the genesis creation story it is polemical in its construction a reaction to culture and to exile a reaction to violence and wanting to reframe the world anew and to retell a story and to think, well, what if actually the world could be like this? We see creativity in the artisans that are described in scripture. In Exodus, it talks about being filled with a divine spirit and ability and intelligence and a knowledge of every kind of skill to devise artistic designs in working gold and silver and bronze, every kind of artistic craft is seen as a divine gift to be a creative, to be someone who can come up with designs to produce something using skills and, and imagination. It is something that is inherently in the image of our creator. And this creativity is all the way through our scripture. We see it in the poetry, in the Psalms, and in the Song of Songs. We see it in the wisdom, in the Proverbs. And of course, we see it in the stories of Jesus and told by Jesus. Sometimes we think of Jesus coming to almost like press a reset button on religion and start again and try and do it afresh and anew this time. But I wonder what if actually it wasn't just religion that he was trying to restart. What if it was political, social, artistic, economic, intellectual and a spiritual revolution? Something that could really give birth to a new world. We see Jesus' intent in the stories that he told. These parables that he shares are some of the most well-known and still the most influential in the world. The ideas have permeated our society 
Even if you are not a churchgoer, you know the idea of a returning prodigal, regardless of your faith. Stories move people. They open minds. They spark and excite imagination. They shift perspectives. The best told stories take you away and they transport you to a new world of possibilities. Or they open your eyes to the reality that's in front of you. Luke and I are a part of a, a movement at the moment that is sharing stories of those within the church from the LGBTQ community or our allies. And the response we are getting because we are not looking for a debate, we are not looking for an argument, we are simply sharing people's experiences has been so encouraging. Stories are powerful works of art. And in Jesus' hands, they were weapons in his conflict with others. In the parable, parable that I picked this morning, Jesus reframes reality and says that those who are seen as rejected are actually the ones who are vindicated. Stories are harder to argue with than facts and sound bites, moving us deeply in a way that a carefully worded argument won't. And the story that Jesus tells talks about the idea of being justified by faith and how that justification can appear in unexpected places for those who have always been kept out and kept down. And that can be life-changing. It holds a mirror up to those who were telling others who could be in and who could be out, who were self-righteous, who thought they'd had it all sorted and had all the answers. Yet Jesus turns that on his head and suggests that maybe there is a new world that we could step into, a new way of being. We get a glimpse of it in Galatians where it talks about those no longer Jew or Greek, no longer slave or free, no longer male or female, all of you are one in Christ Jesus. That subversive idea of breaking down barriers, breaking down borders, breaking down class, gender expectations. Jesus went out of his way to challenge these cultural attitudes and to hang out with those that did not fit. He ate with the sinners. He ate with the socially marginalized. He was with those who were ritually unclean and those who were considered economic traitors. He reframes the world. There's another thing that art does, that creativity does, and that is to speak truth to power. And that is also what Christ is doing in these stories. He sits there and he tells you a story, and if it makes you feel uncomfortable, perhaps that's because you are relating to the bad guy in the story and not the victim. He holds a mirror up to those that are in power, to their hypocrisy and to their control. I've been thinking this week about art as protest, art as a way of undermining the status quo. And I was thinking about graffiti art. We are having um, a street artist who is going to hopefully be exhibiting with us in the new year, um, a guy called Endless, who brings together images of materialism and consumerism and religious imagery and pulls them together. And he's going to do think quite a shocking expansive exhibition here in this space which would be really interesting he holds up a mirror to a world that has moved into worship of materialism and consumerism and he puts it up there just for you to see and for you to reflect on and it made me think of the story in Daniel and I was like is this the first graffiti artist the the writing on the wall where the, the, the fingers of a human ham appear and they start writing on the plaster. The king is watching and he, his face turns pale and his thoughts are terrified and he calls all the, wiz, like the wise people in the land to come and understand it and none of them do. And then of course Daniel is brought before the king and said, you are one of the exiles from Judah, so can you read this? So Daniel goes to 
where this writing is inscribed and it says, Mene, Mene, Tekel, Hasin. And this is the interpretation. God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. You have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. Your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. And I just, I was just reflecting on this and I just, it made me think of graffiti, like just that protest, that, that creative response to often unjust power and government and, and systems of control. And some of the um, like street art um, and a graffiti that we probably know the most and know the best is, is deliberately that is the most polemic, is the most aggressive in that truth. It's always been seen as um, a form of protest. The, the simple act of essentially writing on a building or um, a piece of property of some kind is a challenge to the idea of privatization and, and capitalism um, and society. It is the go-to medium for communities that are oppressed and who feel that they don't have a voice. There is tons of examples of it. You look at any wall that is up in this world that divides communities and you can bet that it will be covered in people calling out that division and calling out those systems of corruption. This creativity, this artistry is a gift from God, a divine gift that we, are, we have as part of our divine imagery. I wonder, do you know the story of Vincent van Gogh before he became a painter? A man not recognized for any of his creative genius at the time actually initially went to serve as a, minister, uh, a missionary. He wanted to become a pastor. Um, he ended up being a missionary in um, Belgium and um, I think it was a coal, like a, yeah, coal mining, a mining community. And he was actually expelled from the church and rejected. Their official reason was that his speech was not eloquent enough to be a preacher. But actually, their real issue was he didn't behave according to the expectations of the institutional church. He begins his career as an evangelist and starts engaging with the people that he has been sent to. He feels he needs to become one of them and wanting to follow in the example of Christ. He intends to form relationships with the people that he has been entrusted. And whoever they are, he desires to live out the gospel in a real and meaningful way. And so he moves out of his dwelling that he's been given by the church into a hut where he sleeps with a straw mattress. And he gives all of his money and his food and his warm clothes to the needy. He does this out as, a, as a response to the Christ that he sees in the gospels a self-sacrificing um, self Christ, an activist Christ. And he preaches the word of God and follows through with that word in his actions, nursing the sick and praying for them and teaching them the Bible and helping them. His passion made the institution that he was a part of, the religious institution, very uncomfortable and he is removed. They saw his behavior as excess excessive. They didn't like him taking the teachings of Christ quite so literally. And after his trial period came to an end, they removed him. They judged him too extreme. I wonder how much of Vincent's experience with the church is then brought through into his paintings. There's one where He's looking over a town and all the houses in the town have lights in the windows, except the church. I wonder what his message is, what he's saying. I wonder how many prophets are out there in the creative world and industry 
that haven't been listened to, that aren't being heard, that are being ignored. Our creativity is a talent and a gift from God. And if you think that you don't have that because you can't draw or you can't sing or you can't play an instrument, I'm going to tell you that that is not true. Being creative simply means to reimagine the world in a different way, reimagine the world in the light of God's kingdom. Being creative means that you hold up a mirror to our society and tell it what is going wrong. As a community here, I think that we are extremely creative. We have always thought, well, how could the world be? And that we have tried to act that into being. And I hope that we are going to continue to do that even though things have changed for us. We have exciting possibilities in front of us. Think of the citizens and just how creative they are as a movement. That it's not simply about turning up and protesting. It is about sharing stories. It's about sharing how it could be. It is about protesting creatively to make a point and to be heard and to be seen. And we have Uplight, our new creative ministry that a few of us are trying to pursue. Opportunities where we have people like Endless coming in. We're working with another photographer to create an exhibition here. Um, at some point looking at trying to break down ideas of toxic masculinity. For the Bloomsbury Festival, we're going to be holding a sanctuary space where we are saying, come and be and rest. That the idea of rest being protest, that's the other reason I wanted to keep the whole creation story in this morning. Of rest being something that is ordained within part of our creation. It, that we should stop and take a moment and take a breath and not always be going. And that is so other to what our society tells us. Normally I have a, a big like, so what are we gonna do about this? But this morning I kinda just wanted to leave it with you to reflect on your own personal creativity, reflect on how you have already spoken truth to power, how you have already reframed the narrative. Creativity to me seems like a doorway to having your mind opened and your world changed. It is a gift from God and we can reach people through it. How are we going to use our divine creative spark? So I'm not going to invite our panelists up because actually none of them are here in the building this morning. But I'm hoping that they are all online and able to join us. Hello, Roseanne. Morning. Tommaso. And Jeff, it's good to have you three here with us virtually this morning. So I'm going to jump straight in and ask how, I'm interested to know, the three of you, how do you use your creative divine spark and then you can just tell me what you think about what I've said. I'm gonna pick on one of you. Tomasa, you start. Sorry, okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, well, thank you. Thank you for your sermon. It was very, very interesting and uh, enlightening in, in many ways. And um, what I was really thinking about is also how art in general and various forms of art sometimes allow people to uh, get in touch with other people as well as dimensions of life that they might otherwise ignore. Um, there, there's a, there's a, a fascinating example uh, in my view of all this. And it's a, it's a novel, really. It's, it's a book that was published in the early 1950s in the United States. And it was called Go Tell It on the Mountain by James Baldwin. And 
is one of the most provocative groundbreaking novels that have ever been written on uh, race relations, upbringing of young people in Harlem in the 1930s, uh, sexuality, relationships with the church, strained family relationships as well. It was, it was a very, very uh, provocative novel at the time, but it was so wonderfully written and so engaging and so powerful in his message that it became a very successful novel and started to be read and reviewed and became a topic of conversation for people that otherwise were not particularly interested in or aware of what was going on in the black community at the time in the United States. And so it became a kind of channel through which other people's experiences became relevant and known to a much wider public. And again, you could have not raised those topics in any other way at the time, other than by putting them into a novel telling real life experiences because they were so divisive and so uh, you know controversial that you know essays could have not been written no. the same way and that's one of the ways in which art can really uh, transform us and indirectly society as well thank you Tommaso I, I, I think there's an issue here it's quite easy to be critical of where we have got to and I always sort of say God's never on the side of the status quo the tricky part you can look back through history and say oh yes we can see a single path of how we got here but when you start looking at how you are going to change then the debate happens there are lots of paths forward um, and it's the struggle with that debate and not saying you've got some sort of Calvinistic, there's a single path that God has got destined, predestined for you. Um, it's the debate about what is the direction in which we are called that feeds into all of this sort of discussion. Thank you, Jeff. Razan? Uh, thank you very much. I enjoyed your sermon. Um, I suppose I'd never, I, I enjoy art and I enjoy music and I enjoy other people's creative skills that I, I, I don't particularly feel I, I possess, but um, I suppose I hadn't ever really thought of them as being used as a means. So, so art as protest is, is great, but what I would like to do is, is to find ways to give people the power to be heard and to uh, to enact the change that they're seeking and to seek out that injustice. So if you've got something that you, you feel that you need to graffiti about, it would be nice to, to be able to give those people who have no other voice another way to be heard and to uh, engage with politics, with education, with, with people that have the power that they lack. And I, I don't know how we get that connection to give people that. Um, I'm looking forward to all these exhibitions that you're talking about though, they sound fantastic. Thank you, Razan. Susan here in the building is also gonna, you have something, yeah, she's gonna share with us as well. Okay, okay. Um, I actually wasn't scheduled to speak. I just Go for really it. wanted to say that um, I, I felt that sermon really spoke to me. I don't, some of you may know, uh, my dissertation is due on Tuesday and I study maths, particularly pure maths. And on Friday I had a meeting with my supervisor and I was really just feeling like so helpless in the world. Like I was like, there are so many things it just feels like everything is getting worse every day and I'm here thinking about made up topological spaces that don't really exist. And I felt so helpless um, and kind of lost. And I was asking God like, I really feel so called cool to maths because like it just fits so well but I also I feel so called cool to care about everything and I I think I things really affect me deeply um, and both things I felt so called cool by God to do but I felt so conflicted between the two that you know 
why was I wasting my life doing this? Um, and then two things actually happened. Um, yesterday, I was looking up um, to do with my dissertation um, a mathematician called Rene Tom, who's a fields medalist, and he actually knew Dali. Um, and there are paintings by Dali which are based on the catastrophe theory mathematics of Rene Tom's work. Mm. And then it still didn't click. So today, um, I just really felt that God was speaking to me through dawn and telling me that it's okay. And I remembered my very first meeting with my supervisor for my dissertation at the start of this year. I'd mentioned that um, my family always asked me, what are the applications of this maths? What are the applications of this maths? And my supervisor said, you know, you can just say to them, and would you go into an art gallery and ask what the application of this? Because maths is art. Yes. So, yeah. Thank you, Dawn. Thank you, God. Thank you, Susan. I was going to say, does anyone else got anything they want to share? Frank, could you? Ma maths is creation. Um, and that's true for all engineering as well. Mm -hmm. um, that is a creative activity. It's not that I've got an image in my mind when they did the uh, TV version of A Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. They're on this planet and they've built a wheel. And the wheel is never going to stand up and do anything. Um, and that's and that's part of the sort you get this artistic imagery sometimes. You know, it's like um, children, four-year-olds and things that are painting or making little creative things. Um, yes, that's creation. But no, it's never going to stand up and do what it was, what the person was thinking of it doing. So uh, there is this conversation that has to go on between the engineer and the artist. And it's a conversation that goes on in society and draws us forward. Yeah, I mean, one of the verses I was going to bring into my sermon this morning that I just didn't have time for in the end was the passage about um, being part of a body and many members and just again that exactly that Jeff recognizing that you may not feel that you're creative because you can't draw like I can but actually that doesn't mean that we can't work together and come up with something even more amazing by putting our different thoughts and our different perspectives together Frank well I think that creativity is often involves a lot of things which are very counterintuitive mm -hmm. I spent my career designing plants which start off with liquid water and a gas and they finish up generally with a solid and who would think that uh, that would be the way that would be the end product of a liquid and a gas and that that gas uh, they be, became then another gas which then reacted with a third uh, liquid and became then a white solid and that white solid is responsible along with another one uh, which is made from this gas and another gas another solid is responsible for there being probably two or three hundred million more people alive on this world than otherwise would be and you know, if, we, if, we, if engineers had not developed this technology, this counterintuitive technology, uh, then there would be a lot of people starving at the moment, many more than there are. Yeah. And I always used to concentrate on hiring engineers who had a creative vision, yeah. who saw that they could do something better than was currently being done. Thank you, Frank. I'm going to bring us to a close there. Thank you everyone for sharing this morning um, and those that did so impromptu as well. Hi there. I need this because <coughs> my voice might, uh, uh, whatever, dry up. Um, I'm going to read um, something that's very familiar, um, but it draws us, I think, to what I want us to focus on today in, in our time intercession, and, and that is the refugee 
uh, crisis that we find um, coming to us every day um, in different ways and uh, we experienced as a church um, the opportunity of helping people who come to us um, but um, I'm going to read something that's pretty familiar to us and uh, interestingly it comes it ties in I think with some of the um, the origins of Genesis because it was written at the same time I believe and this is Psalm 137 by the rivers of Babylon we sat and wept when we remembered Zion there on the poplars we hung our hearts for there our captors asked us for songs our tormentors demanded songs of joy they said sing us one of the songs of Zion how can we sing the songs of God of the Lord while in a foreign land if I forget you O Jerusalem may my right hand forget its skill may my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you if I do not consider Jerusalem my highest joy remember O Lord what the Edomites did on the day Jerusalem fell tear it down they cried tear it down to its foundations O daughter of Babylon doomed to destruction happy is he who repays you for what you have done to us he who seizes your infants and dashes them against the rocks that's a, a cry for, of despair it's um, theologically I think it's it's comes out of a series of psalms that are about disconnection disorientation but it frees us to be able to come to God with exactly that you know where we are um, and maybe that is the call of displacement uh, of peoples all around the world who are in that position um, that the uh, people of, of Judah were and um, there we are that's in the Bible it's evidence of what we can bring to God uh, and let's just do that now uh, before I lead us through um, our prayers let's come to God um, as we are really and, and having that space just to be uh, with all the things that are, that are in us um, pain, anger, joy, whatever for a few moments of quiet So what I'm going to do now um, <clears throat> and throughout these prayers is to invite um, us all um, to say a phrase um, after I, I uh, use a particular uh, prayer. So in the next few ones it will be save us O Lord. So if you want to feel free to join me in saying that and making that um, your own, our own. So these are prayers of confession. From our lack of care for those who are in exile, the refugee, the migrant, and the asylum seeker, save us, O Lord. From our prejudice and ignorance towards those who are different, the stranger, the alien, the foreigner, save us, O Lord. From our failure to see the face of Christ in those we meet and to welcome them in the name of Christ, save us, O Lord. And now we're going to um, run through some specific uh, focuses on 
on refugee uh, elements of the refugee crisis. And after each pause, um, we'll be saying together, hear us, O Lord. Loving God, we pray for our own nation's response to the challenge of welcoming refugees who seek a safe harbor as they are forced to leave their, their countries for different reasons. War, political oppression and instability, persecution, the climate breakdown, starvation and disease. We thank you for so many who have been welcoming and who continue to welcome uh, those from other countries. But we also say, Lord, that we are really disappointed and angered by some of the things that we see around us in terms of um, defensiveness in our land. Um, a hostile environment that's been created um, in so many of the government institutions responsible for controlling immigration and policing our borders. And for what many of us feel is the inhumanity and cruelty demonstrated to so many needy, desperate people, men, women, and children. Hear us, O Lord. May you give us leaders and politicians and may we too be driven by compassion and a desire for justice and the values of our kingdom, of your kingdom. Hear us, O oh Lord. We pray for the ongoing refugee crisis as a result of the Russian invasion of Ukraine. For the seven million who have sought refuge in surrounding countries. The eight million who have been displaced within Ukraine we pray for them as they grieve for their country, for, lo for loved ones lost, and for the loss of their livelihoods. Hear us, O Lord. We pray for BMS, World Mission Partner, um, partner EBF, um, that's the Baptist World Mission and the European uh, Baptist Federation as they respond to the conflict and continue to support refugees. We thank you for the generosity and welcome that Baptist churches in many of the countries surrounding um, Ukraine um, have shown. And we have friends from Lithuania today, um, but also we've seen that in Poland, um, in Latvia, Estonia, in Romania, um, in Slovakia and, and others, and in Ukraine itself. Uh, we pray that they may, may be given love and strength and wisdom to reach out and to continue to reach out. Hear us, O Lord. We pray for nations across the world, such as Lebanon, Egypt, Bangladesh, and Tunisia, who are at risk of major food insecurity as a consequence of the Ukraine war. We pray that supplies of wheat from Ukraine may be allowed to leave the country so as to avoid famine in those countries. Hear us, O Lord. We pray for those who continue to flee Ukraine, that their paths may be clear. We pray that they will find warm welcome wherever they go, including the UK. Hear us, O Lord. We pray for the leaders um, in Russia and Ukraine and across the world, that the Lord's love and compassion and mercy will fill their hearts and that peaceful solutions to the conflict will be reached. And we remember the many other parts of the world where war, persecution, famine and climate change have produced refugees and displaced peoples. I'm not only a few really, but there are so many, but for the Yemen, fighting had uh, been going on there for a, a, a long time. Um, and within Yemen, there are many displaced people and much need. And for Syria, civil war there back in 
um, over 10 years ago has produced what we know of a massive crisis. And for others that are hidden from us many times in places like um, Somaliland, um, where climate breakdown has produced um, displacement and suffering. For um, Myanmar, uh, where the Rohingya people um, have been persecuted and uh, fled to Bangladesh, where there is the world's largest um, refugee camp in uh, Cox's Bazaar. Hear us, O oh Lord. And closer to home, we remember those who we have welcomed into our lives as a congregation. For Fatima and Amina from Syria, as they continue to settle into life in the UK and learn to speak English. For Sheikh, um, following the successful appeal in, uh, in court against the Home Office, which has enabled him to stay. And other friends who have recently welcomed, welcomed into fellowship. Heroes, O Lord. And now in uh, these prayers I'm going to finish with, we're invited to say, send us, O Lord. To those who bear the scars of hatred and violence and who long for peace and healing, send us, O Lord. To those who are lost and alone in an unknown land and who need the hand of friendship and the gift of hospitality, send us, O Lord. To those who cry out for a hope and a future and who search for a place they can call home. Send us, O Lord. Jesus, our friend and companion, you were a refugee, forced to flee from death and violence, forced to seek safety in a foreign land. You know what it is to be rejected by your own people. They have nowhere to lay your hand, your head. Be with all in our world, who have lost home, land, family, and fortune, and who have come to this country for refuge. Give us grace and compassion. Teach us understanding and sensitivity. Help us to offer the gift of hospitality. Amen.